Welcome to Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E, featuring your host, Dr. Deborah Egerton. In this program, we take a look at how you can begin to see how you show up in the world by looking at your Enneagram personality type, improving your relationships, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Deborah Egerton. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are in the world. This is me, Dr. E, and we're here again exploring the Enneagram. Today's guest is Tracy Cooper. Tracy is a dear friend and colleague of mine. We met each other about three years ago, and we have spent an awful lot of time together working and getting to know each other. And I had the privilege of introducing Tracy to the Enneagram. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what that experience has been like for her. And hopefully, those of you who are just beginning to learn and look at the Enneagram will benefit greatly from our discussion. Welcome, Tracy. Hello. It's um, great to be here. Glad you're here. Tracy, uh, when you first learned about the Enneagram, um, we were together and I began to show you some things or did you come to a training? I don't remember my very first uh, introduction of the Enneagram to you. Where were we and how did that happen? So the first introduction to the Enneagram was at a training course that you were doing for one of your corporate clients. And uh, that was that was my first exposure. And from that exposure, you recommended several books for me to read and really explore, you know, where I land, you know, on the Enneagram. Right. So when uh, you were watching that training and that being your very first exposure to it, what was your reaction? I love the way you narrate um, each of the Enneagram types. So that was quite powerful um, in that setting. And I thought, wow, you know, had I been exposed to this many years ago within my life and career, <laughs> um, it would have definitely been a framework and a tool for me to do self work. Uh, I can see where it's very powerful. Um, for people to understand more about themselves, um, to explore, you know, how they show up in the world, um, how they communicate with others. So it was a very insightful first experience um, for me. Interesting. Tracy, uh, share with our listeners a little bit of your background. Sure. So I am, I am an engineer, and I've been working or had been working in the corporate space for over 20 years um, across several different industries, public utility, medical device, food and beverage. And I left corporate America in 2017 because it no longer... The work no longer fed my soul. So um, I was in a transition when, when we met, was the first part of, of that transition process for me. 
of stepping out of the corporate space and doing more meaningful work. Right. So I find that very interesting. I found it interesting when I first met you that mm-hmm. you had stepped away from corporate work um, because it was no longer feeding your soul. And the reason that that's interesting is because, of course, working with the Enneagram in the corporate space, I meet many people who describe themselves as uh, being stuck in that place. Uh, what do they call it? The golden handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And not able to sort of take the time to reflect and think about whether or not they're on the path that they want to be on. Mm -hmm. So you did that. Uh, You did that before you knew the Enneagram. And then the Enneagram, of course, gave you that opportunity to, um, what would we say, go a little deeper inward? Right. Sure. Share with us a little bit about your journey with the Enneagram now. Yes. So I would say um, I've been on a spiritual path for... I want to say at least three decades now. And I see the Enneagram as a complement to that. Um, I do see the Enneagram as a tool. It's not the right word I'm looking for, but a spiritual framework as well. Uh, I don't see the two on, I don't see spirituality and the Enneagram as two separate paths, right? I see them very, well connected and interweaved. So um, as I've learned more about the Enneagram and explored more about my type, I can see how, and looking back at how my life has flowed (laughs) over the years and the relationships I've had and and the work that I've done, it all makes, I want to say it all makes sense, right? And I've had quite a few of those aha moments, you know, as I've reflected, <laughs> as I've reflected on the various <laughs> situations in life. That will happen. <laughs> that undoubtedly will happen. Uh, as you have done this exploration, did you go straight to type or did you sort of go on a journey trying to discover your type? I definitely went on a journey <laughs> trying to discover my type. You know, at first, as, as I started reading books and, you know, listening to um, your training sessions, it's like, okay, I'm a seven, right? So I was w- walking through the world for a period of time as a seven. And then, of course, as I started exploring more and learning more about myself and and seeing panels and, and going to different Enneagram workshops and seminars and sessions, I'm like, hmm, you know, and seeing panels and, and seeing several different people um, that resonate with the Enneagram type seven, I thought, okay, that's probably not me. Right. 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 (laughs) Watching Tracy wandering through the world as a type seven was interesting Interesting. to say the least. (laughs) And uh, so with further exploration, uh, I've landed now on a one. I think that resonates more with me than any other type 
um, yeah. Right. No, it's interesting because there is a line between seven to the line two, seven and one. Right. And um, uh, when ones are really operating at a, at a good, in a good space, Mm -hmm. the seven is very apparent and the type seven can be very appealing. I think it's a very Mm -hmm. seductive uh, (laughs) type. I mean, who doesn't want to be be happy? Of course. (laughs) Uh, However, you know, really occupying that space, if it's not your type, it just doesn't land in your soul in the same way. Right. So uh, when you decided that you were going to halt the journey at one, what made you stop there? Well, everything that I've learned about the Enneagram type one truly resonates with me. Uh, (laughs) Can you give us some examples? (laughs) Most certainly. (laughs) So, um, although I I may not always think that I'm a perfectionist, uh, I think people do experience me that way, I've been told. <laughs> Don't look at me. I've been told. I might not have ever and, said that. <laughs> and uh, what, the other thing that comes to mind for me is not just the perfectionism, but the desire to do the right thing. So as I look at my life's journey and the various situations I've been in through life, the key motivation of almost everything I do is, you know, this, this idea of this voice of, is that the right thing? You know? Mm-hmm. So I, that's how I move through the world. Right. Yes. So that's why I've landed and feel that I resonate more with the Enneagram type one. Right. So can you give us a example of behavior, something that you've done, where you caught yourself in your oneness. As Tracy sits here, (laughs) sort of rubbing her hands together, all right, all of you ones out there know how difficult it is sometimes to, to own some of the one type behavior, as it is with all types, when we catch ourselves in the act of doing our thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what comes to mind is a recent gathering of friends. And there was one person in the room that I felt was taking up most of the conversation and not letting others participate and engage in the conversation. And so I felt a way about that, but instead of expressing it, I have to laugh. <laughs> so do I, because I think I might have been at that you gathering. You may have been at that gathering. And uh, I think before I could say something, because I was going to say something, I don't think, in my mind, I don't feel that it would have been unloving. But it may, it may have come across that way. But in any case, someone in the room, it may have been you, I don't remember, um, somehow shifted the dialogue 
and probably noticed that I was about to say something in my irritation. I might resemble <laughs> that person. <laughs> you know, realized that I was, you know, about to say something in my state of, of frustration and irritation with this individual taking over the conversation. Um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to blah. Right. Come out there, come and, out there, and, and say do the something. right thing and correct it for everyone else. Yes. Okay, and, and that sounds very, very uh, social one actually, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. You know, one of the things, listeners, that is fascinating about the Enneagram is uh, people can have the same type, but with their subtype influence and their wing influence, they can show up very differently. So. I'm enjoying having this interview with Tracy because she and I happen to be the same type. We're both ones. I'm a social one, which means I tend to be oriented towards others and feeling out what's going on with everybody else and making that work and um, just uh, doing the right thing and making sure the right thing is done on the behalf of other. And Tracy, we think maybe self-prez, yes. which shows up in a lot of ways when we're together. And I'm looking at her going, what difference does that make? So <laughs> Tracy, share some of those things that you and I look at each other and you don't get why I'm not resonating with the moment and I'm looking at you like, come on, really, <laughs> really, sister, is it that serious? So <clears throat> I love food. I'm just going to put it out there. You know, You're I am foodie. a foodie. Mm-hmm. I admit I will, you know, I could probably take the gold medal for being a foodie. And so uh, I, you know, when we travel and, and, you know, as we go to our corporate engagements, I will make sure that we eat. And I will make sure that there is time for us to eat, right? And we schedule that within our day, right? Yes, you schedule that within our day. Yes, I make sure that that is scheduled within a day. (laughs) Now, I have to say that I am grateful that Tracy does that because it has given me the benefit of actually eating. I could go a couple of days without eating before I noticed that I hadn't eaten. Mm. And uh, I do not thank you for the extra pounds that okay, I have put sorry. on. Yeah, so I, sorry. Because I used to not eat in the middle of the day. But this is one of those things that, that is important to Tracy. Uh, as a self-pres, that might be something where you find that people are more concerned about maybe making sure that you know they're going to have what they need when they need it. Uh, another good example is I've been trying to put more exercise in my life. Now, I've been trying for a couple of years rather <laughs> unsuccessfully. And Tracy, how is your exercise routine? I mean, what all do you do? Oh, I do lots. Yeah. I do Orange Theory mm-hmm. Fitness. I do Bikram Hot Yoga. I run. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And when the gyms shut down because of uh, of the uh, coronavirus, how did you feel? I was, I felt away. Yeah, you definitely (laughs) felt away. I felt away, but it's like, okay, now what do I do? So Mm -hmm. I now run outside, right? Mm -hmm. I'm 
abiding by the city ordinance and city laws to self-distance. So mm-hmm. yes, I now have a running routine and I connect via um, online yoga classes. So you're exhausting me. <laughs> I'm still keeping up with my routine. I, I'm just I, not physically going out with others. Yes, I'm exhausted just thinking about how you are recreating that. But I'm thinking about it. And by the time we no longer have to self-isolate and social distance, I'm going to be ready with a plan. Okay, but you've gone walking. You started I walking have. recently. I have. I'm so proud of myself. Um, you know, which brings up another point which is interesting because uh the the instincts are i believe that they're somewhat fluid mm-hmm. and uh i even though i am a social one my self pres is kind of kicking in a little bit right now mm-hmm. you know i realize that staying at home and not at least when you're out and about you are moving and so uh, there's some moving that takes place, moving all these papers around because I'm terrible with paper. But when it comes to moving my body, I have been relying on the walking that I have to do in airports mm-hmm. and getting to the right. the places where you know we're doing the work, uh, being out in front of a room and being up on my feet at least four or five hours a day. You know when I'm training. That's not happening. And I could actually feel my body saying, seriously, you're not even going to do that. So I have started taking walks in the neighborhood. Um, It's a very interesting thing because the main thing is make sure nobody's walking around me and make sure I don't touch anything while I'm out walking. Right. Uh, I've also ordered a lot of supplements, you know, mm-hmm. things to kind of bolster my immune system. I've done that for myself and my husband. So I can feel myself press saying, you're not going down like this girl, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on, you can, you can, you can bring this up. Right. Let's do a little more self And I'm, Tracy, I'm cooking. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no. Uh, Lovely story. I don't know how many of my listeners out there are familiar with maybe that transition when all the children leave home and you walk into the kitchen and you realize you're not cooking for a family any longer. I never learned how to cook for two people. So when my youngest son went off to college, I looked at my husband and I said, the only thing I will be making in this kitchen from now on is reservations. And I pretty much stopped cooking. Right. Go out. And you make coffee. Though. I do. I am. Listen, yes, if, times get, if times get rough, <laughs> you could be a barista. I could be a barista. Ha- she has some mad, Deborah has some mad coffee making skills. I do. So. I really do. Uh, but now I'm cooking and making sure that uh, we're eating healthy. So I'm seeing how my self-press is beginning to sort of manifest a little bit more, which I think is amazing. So Tracy, uh, I know that when I first discovered that I was a one, and this is true for almost all of the types, sometimes it's uh, a little traumatic. Sometimes you find out that the very type that you don't want to be, uh, the one that you've walked all around 16 times, and when you come back around again, you realize this is home base. Mm -hmm. 
my experience with that was a bit painful because I focused on the on the harsh the harsh traits, uh, not necessarily. I didn't take a lot of comfort in the positive. Mm-hmm. I kind of looked at the negative things, and there's a reason for that, and got a little stuck there. What was that like for you? So I, I have heard quite a few um, people that resonate with Enneagram One describe what you're describing, um, that feeling of dread and saddened, right, by by finding that or discovering that that's where they resonate. Um, that, that wasn't the case for me. Um, and I don't necessarily, I haven't explored the why, but I wasn't saddened by it. I don't view any Enneagram type as being better or worse than the other. Um, that's been my view as I've explored the Enneagram and, and are learning about the Enneagram and the subtypes. So that wasn't the case for me. Uh, I chose to just really sit with and become more aware of my blind spots, right? And seeing how not being aware of them has caused, uh, I would say, some, some pain points, right? Mm-hmm. Some, some deep pain in my life. Um, and also may have impacted various relationships that I've had with people over the years. And that's where the, uh, the pain points come in. Uh, I believe it's type ones when you have spent a lot of time with your default being to do the right thing mm-hmm. and you begin to reflect on situations and circumstances in your past and you wonder whether or not that was really the right thing to do. Right. And important for ones is sometimes what we look at is the right thing at what cost Mm -hmm. and whose right thing were you doing? So that reflection right there is uh is a powerful one yes and one of the blind spots for type ones can very much be that the do the right thing is through our lenses Mm -hmm. but what may be right for us may be very uncomfortable or harsh or even wrong for someone else right so that is uh, one of the very uh, powerful areas that the Enneagram can help to illuminate is whose lenses are you looking at life through? Mm-hmm. And the only lenses that you have are your own initially, but you eventually develop the uh, sort of, I call it type fluid, a skill of being able to actually occupy the energy of another type. And you can understand the reactions on the other side when the type is different from yours. For sure. Mm. For sure. So uh, are you reading anything now and how are you going to continue your Enneagram journey? So yes, I am reading two books. So I was re- recently introduced to B. Chestnut's 
nine styles of leadership. Nine types of leadership. Nine, nine types of leadership. Mm -hmm. So I've started reading that. Uh, and um, I've recently purchased the Sacred Enneagram as well. Like Chris, Chris, Chris Hughes. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those are excellent resources and I love them both. Uh, and they, they have a different flavor to them, but they're really good resource material. So here we are all, you know, sheltered in place and all of that. Um, can you map out a little bit of what a spiritual practice that includes the Enneagram might look like for you? Sure. So my daily spiritual practice is one of meditation, prayer, and I've also recently started journaling. So journaling is something I've, that has come and gone at different points in life, um, but now I'm finding it very helpful during this period of time, uh, particularly to process through my feelings, um, the anxiety, right? Um, I can't pretend, you know, I can't say that it's not there. There, there are days where the anxiety shows up and there are days when um, it doesn't. So part of my spiritual practice is prayer, meditation, and journaling um, and reading about the Enneagram and the various types, right? Because if I, I come from a very big family, I have a blended family. So I'm the only child of my parents, but my mother had six sons from her first marriage and my dad had five children from his first marriage. And then there's me. And um, I also have a younger brother. So very large family and lots of, as I've, of course, <laughs> been studying the Enneagram, lots of different Enneagram types naturally within the family dynamic. So um, my daily practice is prayer, meditation, and also Enneagram reading. Fascinating. Tracy, um, we're going to go to break right now, sure. but I want to come back and talk a little bit about how you're doing with locating Enneagram types within that family. Okay. Great. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E, featuring Dr. Deborah Egerton. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to dEgerton1 at trinitytransition.com. That's dEgerton, the number one, at trinitytransition.com. Now, back to Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E. So happy to be here today with Tracy Cooper. 
a dear friend and colleague who is still on the Enneagram journey. We left off at the break talking about your family. Yes. Rather, rather large extended family. Very large. So uh, I'm curious, Tracy, now that you are a student of the Enneagram, uh, what impact has that had on your relationships with family members? Have you been able to see other types showing up and how has that helped or maybe hindered you? Right. So I've been able to not only see other types showing up, but also how I show up within the family dynamic. Um, I recent, my mother recently passed in August of last year. And in that experience, in the one, showing up as a one, I stepped into and leaned into just taking care of everything, right? Doing it the right way. Doing it the right way and um, feeling a way about what that right way was. Um, and it was interesting looking back at it, right? It's like, hmm, okay. I, I definitely showed up in the mode of doing it not only the right way, but just getting it done, right? Everything from... Um, you know, talking with the chaplains and planning the memorial service and, and um, all of the packing of things, you know, um, out of the nursing home. So all of that, and, and keep in mind, I have six brothers, uh, but I was the one who, I wanna say, I rose to the occasion, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that any of the others wouldn't have done it, right? I just chose to you just stepped up <laughs> to step up and step in, right? Because right? with there being six brothers, you know, some some of the listeners might now be thinking, well, of course you did because you're the girl, but that's not the dynamic. Not is the it? dynamic. Mm -hmm. Not the dynamic in the family, right? So um, my my mom's primary caregiver um, was one of my brothers and uh, he has always been or has taken on this role of being the family patriarch, right? And very protective of the family and scheduling family conference calls and that type of thing. Uh, so um, yeah, but naturally in a, in, in a time of, in a time when you're dealing with the transition of a loved one, there's lots of different emotions, you know, that are right. going on. Yes. And so it was being able to not only, for me, it was not only being there to get things done in the moment, but also holding the space of love and comfort. Yes. Um, and stepping back and, and choosing not to judge, if you will. Was that hard, the choosing not to judge? It wasn't on the days that I did my work, right? Gotcha. So on the days that I dropped to my knees and prayed, and, and meditated and, and did my work, 
right versus the days when I didn't right Mm -hmm. so when I'm grounded Mm -hmm. right it's easier to understand or to seek understanding and to get out of my head and what's right for me Mm -hmm. right and to see something from someone else's perspective right and that does take grounding um it takes presence, mm-hmm. you know, you really have to be awake and aware or else the voice of your inner critic is going to um, have you see that no one else can do what you can do. Right. Uh, and that's what uh, surfaces sometimes for ones is I'm the only adult in the room. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that can do this, which is so harmful really in circumstances like this where as ones we need to be willing and able to depend on some other people to kind of step up right um hold we'll hold it together until it's all done and Mm -hmm. then even then those tears may not come when we really want them or wish they would come they come later Mm -hmm. um, because we're we're being good little soldiers, you know, and doing the right thing. Right. Uh, I can say that I, I remember that situation uh, with a lot of affection for you Mm -hmm. because I was away from you at the time Mm -hmm. and my one stuff started to kick up. I was on vacation with my husband and was like, no, her mom can't die while I'm away. Mm -hmm. You know, she needs me. Um, and knowing that you had six brothers, I, mm-hmm. I knew that there was going to be, you know, a fair amount of family stuff you would have to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to, you know, sort of check myself mm-hmm. because I'm not the only adult in your life. Right. And God's <laughs> always in control. That's correct. Right. That is correct. He yeah. knew to get me out of it. <laughs> God's always in control. <laughs> And so even in that experience, as I was going through the experience, I was able to, I want to say, check myself to say, you know what, this isn't about me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's really not about me. It's about us coming together as a family to honor our mother. Correct. Right. Honor our mother, aunt, grandmother, great grandmother, you know, lots of grandchildren um, were there. It was really about the family coming together and, you know, approaching it from that perspective, you know, I was able to be vulnerable, right? Because that's not very, that's not a very easy thing for me. Uh, But yeah, it felt safe to do that. Absolutely. And experience that. to experience the love mm-hmm. and compassion of, of my family. Mm-hmm. There, uh, there was definitely a gentleness in the way you moved through that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm sure your family is very grateful and thankful for having you sort of in the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see some spikes of some other personality types coming up during that time that you were aware of? Yes. So I would say 
we probably in the family have a few eights. Um, as I've learned the Enneagram, I think we have a few fives, mm-hmm. right? And, and that shocked me. I'm like, hmm, okay. Um, also a few fours, right? The, the depth of, of the depth of their pain okay. was, yes. was very, very obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that we weren't all experiencing it, Mm-hmm. But um, the few fours, or those that I think resonate with the four, that grieving and that pain was very deep. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you find that it's still there with them even now? Yes. Okay. Yes. As I'm seeing various posts mm-hmm. on the internet, mm-hmm. on, on Facebook, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I also think we have a few sixes in the family as well. We probably can go around as large as a family is. We probably have every type, right? Right. right. On the Enneagram in the family. So it's interesting because we never type other people because we really don't know what's in someone else's heart or their psyche, but there are behaviors Mm -hmm. that we will see that we attribute to certain types. And I find for me personally that particularly if I have to navigate a difficult circumstance, Mm -hmm. if I can see it through different eyes Mm -hmm. or look at it through different lenses, and I have an understanding of that energy at that time, it makes it a little easier for me to have empathy and compassion and to handle the situation in hand, you know, with more grace and love. Mm -hmm. Um, I would imagine that your, your situation with that was somewhat similar. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And particularly with some of the stronger types, because we can, I mean, I think as ones, you can go toe-to-toe with most types. Right. (laughs) (laughs) However, uh, you know, it's that propensity towards, you know, judging. Right. Um, Why are you doing that? That's not what needs to be done in the moment. Um, But when you can, you know, dial that judgment back and just allow people to be exactly as they are, it makes for a much more harmonious situation and um, there's a little less drama. Yes, for mm-hmm. sure, right? It's, it's really accepting people in the moment um, for who they are and what they're experiencing, right? Right, right. And everyone, particularly in, these, in that type of situation, everyone is experiencing something totally different. Correct. Right? Correct. And it's honoring and being present in that experience. Correct. Uh, I love that we're sharing this with our listeners because, uh, you know, at some point in life, um, all families go through something like Mm -hmm. this, you know, you lose a family member. And what I know is that rather than pulling the family together, it can often just tear families apart. 
because all of our stuff, no matter what type you are, gets triggered. Right. It gets triggered by loss. Mm -hmm. And so we may not show up in that space and at that time as present or as grounded or with our higher self really being what's operating. Um, we can go to the default based on being in pain of being very kind of self-absorbed and make it all about our pain and sometimes um, not really be able to connect to the reality that everyone's in pain right. at that moment. Right. And so uh, I would say that in situations like this, if you know the Enneagram, you can pay attention to what's going on with you mm -hmm. first mm -hmm. Uh, and then you can watch, you know, other people's stuff get triggered and act out, but you don't have to act on it. Right. You know? Right. So did you have any experiences like that where you saw some things and you just were able to not act on it? Yes. I was either able to not act on it or diffuse is not the right word I'm looking for, but let's say shift. Shift the energy. Shift mm -hmm. the energy. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and one of the prayers that we did as a family was really pray for togetherness, mm -hmm. right? We prayed and I, we prayed as a family and I prayed separately with the chaplain because that was my prayer that my mom's transition, our mom's transition, the gift that we would get from her transitioning, right. right, would be to bring the family together. Ooh. That was the prayer, mm -hmm. and that has happened, yes. right? So we're a family that connects via conference call with some frequency. We were doing it, you know, even while mom was still with us, but now it's more intentional. Mm -hmm. um, there are several relationships in the family that have been mended. Mm -hmm. um, and were mended that day, right? Yes. Uh, so it's like, wow, okay. You know, folks that weren't speaking to each other for years or maybe even decades, right, are now, you know, concerned and connected and texting and, you know, how are you and how are the kids? And it's just been, it's been an amazing gift. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And this is why um, you know, people that don't understand where we're coming from here, and I'm not trying to be like Barbara Walters and not feel like I'm successful until I make you cry. <laughs> uh, I know I have a tendency to do that, but you know, it's these tender moments that you know really, really matter when a family is going through something like this. And I can tell you that I had the same experience um, when my parents passed. Uh, fortunately, knowing the Enneagram, I could see what was happening all around me and um, kept myself really grounded in prayer mm -hmm. and presence to be that loving sort of spirit that could shift the energy at different times. And it's amazing how possible it is to do that. Right. And um, I think it's important that we talk about this because we know what happens as a result of the loss of a family member. Yes. I yes. mean, I have seen families just 
right. not speak to each other For again. Years. Yeah, they just just you know completely lose it. So um, you have to have some sort of a grounding mm-hmm. um, uh, experience, uh, spiritual practice, uh, be prayed up. Yes, in order to go through a the loss of a loved one in a in a way that you, where you're emanating grace and love uh, in order to not just get yourself through it, but in order to hold the family together. Mm-hmm. And even the presence of one person who understands that and is actively present and working with that makes a huge difference. It does. Mm-hmm. It and, does. And I know just from watching you that you were that person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was that person. And I can honest, I can say that we have several, I, I think we are a family of faith, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. we have a very strong faith as a family and we actually have several ministers in our family. So I wasn't the only one. There were several of us holding the family in love, mm-hmm. um, keeping us prayed up, so to speak. Um, and it was it was just amazing to see us come together. So right after the memorial service, you know, I don't know, it seems like 30 plus of us gathered at my brother's house and no one wanted to leave. Right. Just, you know, whether it was the card games or the talking smack, if that's the term that people are using. I don't know if that's the right term these days. <laughs> we, we may be a generation right, or two may, away. It may be a generation or two away, but, you know, it was just, you know, all the trash talk. You know, it was it was just fun. Right. Just to, to be together with. Family. And we happen to believe that your mom was likely a seven. Yes. And that's exactly what she would have wanted to have happen. For sure. Most definitely. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, that's a, you know, that's a beautiful, you know, beautiful story to share because that is always a difficult time. And like I said, it's mm-hmm. relevant because it's something that families have to go through. Yes. Um, my hope and my prayer is that even in listening to this, that someone out there who maybe is going through something like that at this time or dreading having to engage with family will learn a little bit about how doing your work, we talk about doing the work. And when we say doing the work um, for us, it's our prayer and Mm -hmm. our Enneagram work, the Enneagram undergirds your faith. So what I always um, look at is that my faith lives in me in a very powerful way. The Enneagram helps me to see things about myself that I would not otherwise see. Right. So being able to do that allows me to show up authentically Mm -hmm. as a better person, you know, Mm -hmm. um, less self-absorbed, less judgmental. Uh, and it is a daily walk. Yes. You know, because one day I can like be a superwoman, you know, showing up like super, super kind and empathetic and not judging. And the next day I may get triggered by something. Right. It's like, you know, did you see <laughs> what that How person did? Dare. How, How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> How dare they? It's 
so, so inappropriate <laughs> used to be one of my, my uh, buzzwords. Everything was inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now there's, there's not quite as much inappropriate stuff, but what I do notice is things that are mean-spirited uh-huh. or unkind, unnecessarily right. unkind, you know, that just sort of pops right up, um, as opposed to everything being inappropriate. Right, right. I think now it, it appears that um, with the various technologies that we have, there's this tendency to say things, right? Because you're not sitting in front of someone. There's a tendency to say something that you probably would not say if you were face-to-face with someone, right? right? Right. So, uh, yeah. And I think that that's a very relevant point uh, for Enneagram type one, Mm -hmm. because I think that our weapon happens to be our words. Yes. And uh, Enneagram ones, we have a tendency to tamp down our reactions because we don't want to act out inappropriately. Mm -hmm. But then when it finally does come out, the words can be very mean spirited and go straight for the heart. Right. Very harsh. Yes. And then we beat ourselves up for being so harsh. Now, who wants to keep repeating that cycle? Yeah. So that in itself <laughs> is a reason to do the work. work. Yes, yes, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Tracy, I think a lot of people would really benefit from hearing why and how you got the courage to step away from doing work that as you put it, no longer fed your spirit. How did you do that? That's a question that quite a few people have (laughs) asked me over the years. So it was truly a decision of of faith, right? So um, after 11 years, after 11 years within or after 11 years working for a top 100 global um, fortune, fortune 100 company at a very high level at an executive in operations, I decided that, or I felt it wasn't really, it was, it was more of a feeling. Um, I felt that the work no longer f- fed me. Right. I, I was successful in, in the work and I loved, I was successful in the work and, and I loved my team and I loved, you know, developing my team members, but it no longer, only way I know to describe it is it no longer resonated with me. So I knew it was time for something to shift when I decided to leave, I could not tell anybody what I was doing next because I did not know. It wasn't as if I left corporate America for another job or I was leaving this, my corporate situation for another corporation. I just knew that now was the right time to do something different. Um, I wanted to make a greater impact in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt that with all of my experience, knowledge, and uh, 
yeah, I just felt that I could make a better or greater impact in the world. Well, I can tell you that I have been so blessed, uh, first of all, to have met you, connected with you. Um, we work together quite a bit now. Yes, we do. And uh, you took that same leap of faith that I took when I started my company 23 years ago, and maybe 25 now, I don't know. But uh, you have navigated this space with so much faith and with so much really uh, grace. It's, it's just been unbelievable to actually see what that looks like. Mm. And um, your Enneagram journey has been a lovely and fascinating one. And I'm, I, I feel honored to have introduced you to it and to sort of be by your side as you go on the journey. Uh, and we will all be watching out to see what else is in store for Tracy Cooper. Yes, I'm excited too. I know, it's just, <laughs> just absolutely a beautiful thing. So what I can say to all of you listeners, this was a story of taking a leap of faith mm -hmm. with a type one and watching her story evolve and unfold. And um, Tracy will be back with us and keep us posted on what's going on in her world and in her life and on her journey. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week. And I can tell you that we're going to be talking about something um, that is very important to so many. And we will be talking about a woman's Enneagram journey through breast cancer. Thanks so much for being with us. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Enneagram with Dr. E. Please join Dr. Deborah Egerton again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a good week.